podcast. That's my new assistant. I couldn't resist bringing her live there. Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today, I'm going to be joined by Pat Williams. Pat has been in the field for a long time. He founded the Institute for Life Coach Training, which has trained thousands of coaches worldwide since 1998. He's the author of several books, including Getting Naked, and he is a founding member of Harvard University's Institute of Coaching. He's just been in this field for a long time. And one of the things we'll talk about today is the mentoring work that Pat does with coaches. He'll talk about some of the characteristic differences between a new coach, a professional coach, and a master coach. We'll also talk about the power of metaphor in coaching, the transformational potency of metaphors. How do we spot them? What kind of possibilities do they open up when we bring them into coaching? I just want to take one moment to tell you about the power of presence. It's one of the topics we go into today with Pat. The power of presence is a 22-week online training all about how do you bring the power of presence into your coaching work to deepen the transformational work that you do. And we have an amazing lineup of teachers, including Thomas Hubel, Jim Detmer, and David White. If you're interested in that, you can find out more by heading to coachesrising.com forward slash power of presence. All right, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Pat Williams. So Pat, it's uh, really delightful to be joined by you today. And I was just saying to you in the kind of check-in that uh, this probably this pro- podcast should have probably happened sooner. So uh, it's good to have you on the podcast. How are you today? Well, I'm fine. And I think it, if it happened sooner, you wouldn't have me in my current state of mind or whatever. So, I mean, my journey has been a trajectory that I'm sure we'll talk about. I'm fine. Our weather in Colorado today is nice. It's springtime. We're having warm weather today, and in three days, it'll be cooler and rain. So we don't get much rain. I'm happy to to do that. But we've had a lot of snow in the mountains, which is great for the drought. So I'm happy mm-hmm. about our weather and that I can get out and play and do an adventure like you you see the river behind me. So that's uh, that's nature is my church. It's <laughs> a good church to have. Yeah. Then I would actually, I think it's a good question to first ask you is, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Because some people might not be aware of your work and you have a real legacy in the field of coaching. So, Well, so the quick summary, um, I, I actually was a psychologist before I was a coach, but I always say I was kind of a sheep in wolf's clothing. I I didn't, you know, I studied humanistic psychology and transpersonal psychology when I was in my early 20s. So very early into the humanistic, human growth, the whole, that whole thing at an early age. And so as a psychologist, I didn't like to see people as a diagnostic category or that they were broken. Now, I still played that game, gave them a diagnosis, and and I loved my clients over time, but I got tired of the profession in America, the insurance, the lawyers. So when I heard about coaching, I had been doing executive coaching since 1990 through my practice. You know, it was kind of like in the 1990, the leaders were sent to coaching or else. They were supposed to get coaching to fix themselves in their leadership role. And as you know, that's shifted now to taking high, uh, you know, high potential people instead of problem people. 
So when I heard about coaching in 1995, that's when I went to the first conference in Houston. I became a coach you student. I'm a founding member of the ICF, one of the early master certified coaches in 1999. Um, and then I formed a coaching school, had that for about oh, 14 years, sold it, but I still teach for them. I just got tired of the administrative BS. <laughs> and I um, will share this, I'm sure, in some of your questions, but I got to speak around the world, written a lot of books. I now mostly focus on mentoring coaches, and I do some leadership coaching with professionals, and then I teach a few classes. So at age 73, I don't believe in the term retirement. I'm repurposing. Beautiful. Yeah, great, great. Uh, there's so many places we could start, and I've got a few core questions, actually, that I really would like to ask you today. But I think the first one is you describe yourself on your website as being the Indiana Jones of interior development. And, you know, it really looks like you've really uh, immersed yourself in your own growth. And I'm just curious for you if you feel there is, a, you know, what is at the heart of growth for you? If you felt, if you feel like there's something, I mean, I know it probably is difficult to reduce it to some core, you know, foundational principle, perhaps. But so I'll let you just answer that in any way you want. Yeah. Well, when my um, marketing people at the time coined that term, I thought, you know, so one of the values I have in life <laughs> is adventure and travel. Adventure. I mean, I, I, you know, I've done a lot of weird stuff, from jumping out of a plane to Sky just just once, you know. So Indiana Jones, what did he do? He he explored things with a little danger. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think in in my work, the um, the model that I probably work from is I want people to live beyond mediocrity, to not settle. And I've thought that from a very young age. I mean, teenage years. And then that's why I've followed psychology. I didn't plan on becoming a psychologist. I thought I'd be a college professor, but the hoops you had to jump through didn't settle me. So I think the quick answer to your question is I'm an explorer. It's one of the metaphors in my life. And I think the people I work with now that I train coaches, so I'm, I'm like one to many now. I want to train coaches who can then work with their clients is to help people realize that life is not always easy. It shouldn't be. It can't be. We don't have to create problems in our life, but when they show up, how do we learn from them? How do we learn from unexpected? How do we learn from that road less traveled? One of my mottos, one of the poetry that guides my life. Um, so I'm, I think that the summary of all that answer is, Life is about exploration, and there are no failures. I, I don't like that word. There's only results. Try something. What did you learn? And I think that's the essence of coaching, helping our clients. What did you learn? Not what can you learn from me, because that's not coaching. But how can I have the profession of coaching become at its best is to elicit what a client has not yet thought out loud, what they haven't said out loud, and what they haven't dreamed out loud with a committed listener. That summarizes what I think 
the professional coaching, especially transformational coaching, is about. Yeah. And I think we can talk about, you also mentioned metaphor there, the metaphor of the explorer. I think we can talk yeah. about that and mentoring of coaches. But I'm curious for you, you know, this idea of moving beyond a mediocre life of eliciting the dreams of our clients. Um, what do you think, it, when you're teaching coaches, you know, what, what, how do you speak to them about that? Really, what, what do you think is fundamental in, in how a coach can learn to do that with their clients? Well, in, in, the, in the books I've written about coaching, I'm pleased to say the third edition of my coaching book, Becoming a Professional Life Coach, is out. But even in that sense, I tell people, you might learn the principles of life coaching because it's all life coaching. No matter what, you, I wouldn't put that on my business card if I want to get a gig with IBM, but it is what you do. You know, you, we are transformational life and leadership coaches, whatever term you want to use. So what I teach and what I mentor now is you are not the source of answers. You are the source of presence created, an atmosphere of new thinking and helping the client actually go below the surface, like my metaphor of snorkeling. I don't like that metaphor of under the iceberg because what's under there is cold and dark. So we help people see, like put on goggles, what's under the surface. Some of it's a little nerve wracking, a little scary. Some of it's beautiful. It's not psychotherapy, but it's like what's right under the surface. And I would just summarize that by saying all coaching is about helping our clients think what they've not thought. So think differently, not with us telling them what to think, but eliciting new thinking. And it's about the unconscious because it's what you don't know yet. That's the simple term of unconscious. We're not talking about the deep, dark, uh, intensive psychotherapy. We're just talking about what does people not yet know about their uniqueness as a being on this planet who has an opportunity to become, try not to be trite here, who, who become more of, more of what they've known <laughs> and more of what's, well, here, here's the phrase. When people say, what do you want for your life? I changed that years ago to say, what does your life want for you? Because I felt I was called to coaching. You know, I just felt, wow, this is it. This is what I has been traversing the river for. This is it. And that's expanded even more. So what does my life want for me? That's my unique purpose. Finding a, finding a vehicle to show up that way. Mm. Yeah. I, I love that switch of the question. And um, I'm just curious when you when you're with clients. I know you work with coaches a lot now, and probably that's also a powerful, equally powerful question or essential question for coaches. Um, how do you help people orient towards that question? I, I, I've played with that myself. I find it very powerful, and I like that it's like, "What does life want from me?" Because it yeah. it gets me out of my own strategic planning and thinking 
plus I have a tendency to think in terms of like what I already know. I think you're already pointing at this. Yeah. So, you know, I don't go beyond what I already know. And I find that's a very rich territory. And 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 still it can be, you know, and, and so that question invites me into more of a of a deep listening, perhaps a surrender. And I'm just curious for you, how do you help people tune into what might be emerging there? Like how, how does it show up? You know, does it does it show up in, you know, um like an inner an inner voice or like symbols or images? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, all of that. Um, so part of my part, it, my journey, I mean, I'm a way better coach than I was in 1990 when I did executives. I mean, basically, I did the same thing I'd do if they came to my psychotherapy office, but I did their workplace and called it coaching and charged twice as much. But that was like problem-oriented coaching as opposed to growth-oriented coaching. So I think if I stick with your question my evolution of creating a coaching school in 1998 was primarily for other people from the helping professions to learn a another way to serve people. They didn't have to give up being a psychologist or psychotherapist, but coaching could expand their audience. It could enlarge. And that's what we started. We, we were the coaching school, the Institute for Life Coach Training that focused on graduate degree professionals, mostly from the helping professions. That's evolved, evolved, evolved. And at that time, we were the 12th school in the world. Now, I think there's probably 1,200. But what I do now is teach certain classes uh, at that institute and others. And then I do mentoring groups. And I teach an advanced course on metaphors, which I love. That's I'm doing two presentations this month on that. So I think the short answer to your question, I try to come back to the topic, is I love my students, my my adult learners, they're, you know, they're people just younger than me, is to kind of let go sometimes of your previous learning and look at ways of being. I know that sounds a little esoteric these days, but who are you? Why did you get into this profession? What what called you to be a coach? And what is good or challenging, good and challenging for you in the clients you want to coach? Now, when somebody builds a practice and they start coaching people, because we know that many coaches have trouble building the practice, I like to mentor coaches who are already coaching and want to get beyond the formulaic, the distinction would be transactional coaching versus transformational. Somebody can come to a coach for weight loss, write a book, exercise more, time management. And, you know, we can do that. It works. But the transformational that you talk about on your website, too, is what goes beyond the, the what and gets to the who are you. If that I'll, I'll just stop there because I. Yeah, I can ramble a bit on some of these questions. Oh no, it 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 um, well actually, uh, yeah, I think that speaks to me deeply, and I'm curious for you. Then you know you're co- you're you're mentoring coaches, and um, I think that you know, and even maybe we can even bring in here that in the life of a of a 
coach's you know uh, journey through through their coaching journey um they can also have periods where they connect to the the fire you know and something's really inspiring and moving their coaching and then their coaching can perhaps become more transact uh maybe transactional is not the right right word but it but it loses its yeah, yeah. loses its um kind of shininess and it's yeah, and it's a little, inner, a little routine or a little exactly uh, complacent yeah yeah and so perhaps we can kind of bring both of those into one and i'm just curious how do you how do you invite coaches into a beingness that has them doing deeply transformational work because i I think that's the key isn't it it's like if you if you're embodying something then you're an evocation of of transformation to the person you're with or the group that you're with and i'm just wondering for you like that way of being how do you help coaches to tune into you know a new way of being that might be wanting to emerge inside of them wow Here's the thought that comes to mind. I, I have said this numerous times in different ways. I think coach, the, the profession of coaching um, demands the coach or requires or encourages the coach to be more authentic and more self-aware than even the profession of psychotherapy did. Licensed therapists, licensed psychologists, licensed psychiatrists can kind of hide behind the license. And trust me, a lot of those mental health professionals had very troubled lives. I think that's well known, right? Many were very effective. And of course, I could cite the the ones that influenced me, the kind of the kind of uh, mavericks. <laughs> um, but I think the the clients, uh, the students, the mentees that I work with is the key has been like the path to certification, at least in the ICF standards. And there's many other ways that the European mentoring council, or maybe they don't get certified, but even if you're going to function as a coach, what are you doing to stay fresh? What are you doing to evolve? And in, in today's vernacular, we call that um, kind of the practice management or reflective practice. How do you, who, how do you, and with whom do you reflect on how are you as a coach, not just case management, let's discuss a case, but how are your cases affecting you? How is your life leaking into the coaching? I work a lot on emotional literacy and what I call emotional nakedness. Um, if we got crap going on in our life, and we will, you know, we might have a death, we might have a divorce, we might have a health issue. How do we leave that outside the room, even if we work on Zoom or by phone, and be present for coaching? We have to be present. We have to put our stuff aside. And we can be human and empathic, but we can't be distracted and moderately present, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Presence is a topic I've heard you name before in our conversation. And I feel like, I mean, coaches rising, that's really important, the, both in terms of something we can be as a as a coach and a space yes. we can evoke for our clients and also the role of presence in transformation itself, you know, as a key ingredient. 
And so I think that's that's really important. And I wonder even, you know, because I know in my coaching practice that I've even uh when there's a been a death, there was a death in the family, and it was like incredibly potent to not be um governed by that. So, you know, that I could be present with the client and yet include it as well. Yes. Uh, and and uh and and actually, how could I put this? It's like you know, in one sense, a coach might say, well, I can't coach today because I'm uh, grieving and yeah. uh, I'm not ready to coach. And that, right. that, that I respect that. If that's where you are and you feel like you you can't be there for your client, that's, that's fine. But in another way, it points to a notion that we have about who we are as human beings and what is it to be whole and what is it to have in our wholeness uh, to include our brokenheartedness, yeah. you know, and actually that that can even be a sort a deep source of our transformational power uh, yes. when meeting a client. And that's what I felt like when I included that grieving with this client. Um, it's not, I didn't even name it. I didn't speak it or anything. I didn't say I'm grieving. I just, I just allowed it in my heart. And we had one of the deepest sessions we'd ever had. That is good. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that has to do with the research today on uh, mirror neurons, you know, our, our heart. I mean, I mean, the research, uh, when we connect with somebody empathically, we are connecting energetically. Well, my daughter calls all my woogity boogity stuff, but it's proven that our neurons kind of, what's the word? Um, I want to say connect, but a resonance. They resonate like two tuning forks with a person if we're that aware, if we're in our heart. I had my my, uh, my late wife passed away in 2018, three weeks after we moved into our home here in Colorado. And a lot of people knew me and I didn't like post it, but a few people knew. And I took a few weeks off. I just had to get my life together. All of a sudden I was a widow. I was living here near my oldest daughter. And I wasn't like debilitated, you know, but I... I saw a therapist, I did some reflection, and then I wrote about it. And I wrote a blog about loss. Uh, and a few people knew the story. I even shared it with a few clients when appropriate. But I had to take some time to be available to be present. I mean, it didn't rule my life, but it was a big change, unexpected change. Um. And I think we coaches need to have enough self-disclosure, which I write a lot about in my writings. I'll, I'll share another story later about that. But we have to be, we can self-disclose just enough without making the session about us. It, it's like the humanity, don't hide your humanity. Um, you don't have to do me too listening. Say, oh yeah, that happened to me too. But you can say, I understand a bit of what you're dealing with because I lost a child too, or I had whatever, just enough, right? It makes it more human, the connection more human. And a lot of coaches are afraid of that, by the way. If I could just say in the early days of coaching, if people started crying in a session or sure, oh, no, 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 you need to go to a therapist. no. If you've pre-screened your clients and they're not emotionally fragile, 
emotions are just emotions. Some of them just don't feel good. And we can acknowledge and help expression. And then it shifts neurologically. It shifts them. Uh, I want to say emotionally, that's redundant, but the client shifts. So one of the things we do in coaching today about that with the new competencies by the ICF is notice the client's energy and don't interpret. So this is what I teach to my mentees. If I, if you and I are having a coaching session and you take a big breath and you maybe even you wipe your eyes, I don't say, oh, you seem to be feeling sad. Tell me about that. That's an interpretation. I might instead say, Joel, your energy just shifted. Your voice got quiet. I know that what, what's going on inside. And notice I didn't say, what are you feeling? I didn't say, you're feeling sad. I just said, what's going on? Tell me about your experience at this moment. And don't be afraid of it. Because if that gets expressed, it'll shift in a matter of minutes. Mm. This kind of brings up the question about coaching mastery. I'm wondering what you, in your coaching journey, led to mastering coaching or what you see in coaches. And is this part of it, you know, like this yeah. ability to be relationally attuned in the moment and to include whatever's there in the experience of the coaching? Yeah. Mastery is about being willing to, well, presence. I think presence and curiosity are the two things that make coaching the best that it is. All the other skills, of course, listening, of course, inquiring, of course, um, clarifying, all that stuff is there. But I think I try to teach you as a coach are not there to fix, help, or answer. You're there to create what many of us call this sacred space. If, the, if that is offensive to somebody. It's not meant to be religious, but it could be this, um, this, uh, what's another word that I might use this special connection space, even on the phone, even on zoom across the miles. It's a kind of a conversation space that people, most people don't have with anybody else. A good friend at Starbucks can have a good listening with you, but it's not the same as coaching. Your best friend can converse with you, but it's not the same as coaching. Uh, coaching by definition, professional coaching, when you've hired a coach, is with somebody you don't live with, work with, or sleep with. They're, they're objective, right? Now, you can teach coaching skills to managers and family members, and my conversations with my daughters got way better when I started using a coaching modality without them knowing it. I call that stealth coaching but I wasn't trying to fix or solve. I was just trying to be present. Yeah. And where do you see coaches struggling the most with that, you know, with mastery, that journey towards mastery? What do you think gets in the way? And Formula. Uh, here's the difference between, so an ACC coach, ICF standard. So a beginning coach, competent, let's say competent coach. Okay. There's competence. You're not going to hurt anybody. It's going to be helpful. You can have coaching conversations. A professional certified coach, and I always say that doesn't mean perfect certified coach. You don't have to follow all the competencies all the time. It's supposed to be non-formulaic. It's kind of like um, I say to somebody, if all of a sudden 
you've driven a car for for years. And um, so the first time I went to Australia is the first time I drove on the wrong side of the road for me with a steering wheel on the wrong side of the car. And as I was driving to visit my nephew in a beachside community, I said, you know, this is like the distinction between therapy and coaching. Some of the same skills, but I feel like I'm driving in the other lane. The car still works the same. I'm still, but it just feels I have to adapt. I have to adjust. And that's what coaching has done over the three decades or more that it's been around, almost four. Um, it, it's a, so the difference between, ma- oh, so back to mastery. First of all, mastery is a fluid experience. I'm not, I might do a master coach demonstration, but I'm not always masterful. It, it depends. It depends on the situation. It depends on this. So my metaphor for people, coaches, is like, if you knew how to drive your whole life and all of a sudden somebody gave you the keys to a Lamborghini, uh, you might read a little bit about the performance manual. But when you're driving, you can't look at the manual. You have to drive. And hopefully with a little awareness, it's different. Hmm. I hope that. I hope yeah. some of those stories make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And, you know, we just mentioned metaphor. Actually, I do yeah. think that pro- that use of metaphor is really potent. And um, I'm just curious if you could say something about how you use metaphor in coaching and the, you know, it's transformational potential, basically. Yeah. 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 It's one of the things I've been known for. Um, I've taught, metaphors as the magic in coaching for 20 years, probably. And I still do webinars here and there, but here's where that comes from. When I trained in humanistic and transpersonal psychology, I got introduced to Carl Jung, Roberto Asagioli, who's the founder of psychosynthesis in Italy. Most people haven't heard of him, but he's one of the first psychiatrists back in the days of Freud to introduce the concept of multiple personalities, symbolism in our life. Jung did the same thing. So the quick story is then in 1978, when I finished my doctorate, I took advanced training in Ericksonian hypnotherapy. Now, I didn't become a hypnotist, watch my watch and go into a trance. But Milton Erickson, who's the unique father of American hypnosis, had a unique style. In fact, he's one of the three people studied for NLP. Milton Erickson, Virginia Satir, and Fritz Perls were the three people studied that became neurolinguistic programming. The people want to look it up. He had a unique way of bringing up metaphors from the client's story, stories and metaphors. So what I tell people today, and not just people, but the coaches I train, we use metaphors all the time in, in our language. We Metaphors existed before we had language. Stories around the campfire, cave drawings, um, all that. Metaphors to me are the sometimes the shortcut to understanding something that might be conflictual, tied to certain emotions. So, for example, if you say to me, "I don't, I don't know, I just, I just feel so stuck," and I said, "Well, Joel, tell me more about stuck." What kind of stuck? 
So I don't interpret it. I let you tell me. And what needs to happen to that stuck? If you were unstuck, what would be different? So those are powerful questions. Those are coaching questions. I'm not interpreting. I'm evoking awareness. I think metaphors are so good because they carry a lot. It's like a picture is worth a thousand words, we'd say. It's true. Uh, so I use metaphors, stories, and sometimes even photographs as a way to elicit the unconscious. Not the, not the deep, dark stuff. Just like, wow, I didn't understand that until, you've, uh, until, you, until you illuminated the metaphor I just used. So the client's language has a lot of hidden awareness in it, and metaphors hold the key to a lot. I'll say one last thing about that, and then I'll shut up. The word metaphor comes from amphora, which is a Greek word that was a, an amphora was a clay pot that was carried valuables. People would put their valuables in this clay pot and transport it. So if you think about the metaphor, our amphora, the coaching and the use of the metaphor is a vehicle for transporting valuable information. Could you give us an example of meta, some metaphors? I know that's, you know, of course, it would be very contextual, dependent on the client or the yeah. group. Or, but, you know, what, what do you, I don't know if any come to your mind. Yeah, well, the one I use with you, like you're stuck, that's a metaphor. Somebody yeah. might say, I, I just feel lost. Okay, well, listen to the words and d- just ask the question, just ask the client, wow, tell me more about lost especially if that image is repeated, if they've said it two or three times. So in my metaphor classes, advanced coaching, I teach three things. You can listen for the metaphor and just pick one. You can evoke a metaphor by asking a certain question, or you can even offer a metaphor. If you and I have coached for several weeks, I might say, you know, Joel, as we talk about this, I keep getting this image of, a hot air balloon rising above the, I mean, I'm just making this up. And you might say, oh my God, that fits perfectly. Or you might say, oh, you know, it's not that, but here's what I'm experiencing. Fine. All I did was share the possibility that my intuition was on target. And 90% of the time it will be if we've created a bond. So metaphors can be something as simple as an image. It can even be a word like, this is really hard for me. Well, what does hard mean? See, that's an implied metaphor. It's not an image, but it's a language that describes something. And a metaphor is something that stands for something else. It's a picture or a word that stands for something else. Um, I'm curious. Actually, you said you can also ask questions that could evoke yeah metaphors what could you yeah i'm just super curious it's great i get to like be in the yeah you know yeah the pat, well, pat williams okay. masterclass of, uh, yeah i know yeah. i know well this is oh it's fun so if a client uses a phrase like i'm stuck i'm lost i just feel like i'm in a drift sliding down a mountain they've given you the metaphor and all you have to do is tell me more about that but the way to evoke a metaphor actually comes from a a training called Clean Language by David Grove. It's taught a lot in the UK, clean language and coaching. But I trained with David Grove in 1983. 
as a psychologist. And clean language is, here, here's the magic question. People are going to get this in our interview here. If I say to a client, so as you think about this challenge that you're having, and as you describe what you're telling me right now, and if I ask you to hold that in your mind for just a moment, it's like what? Now, that's not a question most people get asked. If you think about it, most people say, what's that like? So I want you to get the semantic difference here. What's that like versus it's like what? If I say, what's that like? You're going to describe it. You're going to use a lot of words, a lot of you know, brain uh, vocabulary. But if I say it's like what? 90% of the time, I just made that up percentage, but I'm sure it's true. 90% of the time, the answer to that question is a metaphor. It's like, you know, and the answer to that will usually be a metaphor. Really, then you brilliant. Have something to work with. Yeah. And that working with part, that's what I'm really curious about now. So, like, do you, because are you then wanting to help somebody tune into the felt sense of a metaphor, you know, to really, it's building awareness. And I mean, what basically, what what's the, process you would take someone through well, with a metaphor. Yeah, it's what's the message in the metaphor. I mean, I don't want a whole 30 or 45 minute session to be about the metaphor. It should be a section. So if I say to you, tell me more about stuck. How do you feel? How are you feeling stuck? And where where does that show up for you? And what happened right before stuck? And what would happen if you were unstuck? So I don't I don't throw them out bullet, you know, I don't throw question we pause which is part of mastery, by the way, ask a question and wait. Don't start talking. <laughs> you know, ask a question and see what it evokes. Um, so I, I want people to see what does the what's the message carried in that metaphor? There might be feelings, there might be answers, there might be stories that the client shares. And it leads to a, an illumination that would not have come by just talking, just being in your head. So I think my, my answer to your question is the power of metaphors is that it short circuits, well, not short circuits, it, what's the word? It, it um, gets more quickly to the core of what, the client's awareness could be. And then you say, okay, so what, what would happen if that metaphor, what happens if you get unstuck? What would your life be like? What needs to happen for you to be unstuck? I don't care if you call AAA or the army shows up with a helicopter. Let's just, what would happen if you got unstuck, right? Because that will shift. It, it's magical. It will shift their story. And I think part of mastery is realizing there's so many unique ways that a person can become aware of what they don't know so that they can become how they really want to be. And they don't yet know that. I mean, what people, some people might come to coaching to fix a problem. We quickly have to tell them we're not here to fix a problem, but we are here to look at 
how do you want things to be different? And we ask that many different ways. Um, yeah. That, that's powerful. And do you feel that you uh, would evoke a new metaphor for people perhaps, or would you listen as they talk about being unstuck and uh, they perhaps might, cause I can see how, I guess maybe it's a question actually, you know, on one, on the one hand, somebody's unfolding towards uh, this life that is wanting to happen for them. What life wants to happen for them may come from just the awareness of the metaphor itself, yes. which I think can happen. Yeah. But it yes. could also be interesting that then they might go, well, actually there's a new metaphor here. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you just used a metaphor. You'll think of that. Life unfolding. So I would say, well, tell me more about unfolding. What does that mean? Because when you think about it, it's like opening a, for me, it's like opening a brochure or a map or a a treatise. That's for me. But I may say, what does that mean for you, your life unfolding? What would happen if your life unfolded? Uh, It's interesting to explore because I don't have to know the answers. I'm just being curious. And I think our unconscious metaphors are one of the quickest ways of the unconscious. And and, and it's not like dream work, you know, which is actually, I used to teach psychology of dreams for two years too. Now at age 73, I don't dream much anymore. The older you get, the fewer dreams you have. You need more deep sleep. But metaphors are in our language. It's in, actually, it's in almost... I think it's proven in every language. Somewhere there's a metaphoric use of words that stand for something else. And I'm not going to get into the debate of whether it's a simile or a metaphor or an analogy, but uh, the metaphoric picture image holds a lot of valuables in it. If I go back to that Greek word amphora, there's valuable information, and I don't know what it is. It's not for me to know. It's for me to explore and be curious about. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it feels like there's, um, as, I, as I feel into metaphors, it feels like they have a, how can I put this? You know, a kind of almost like transformational currency inside of them. You know, so stuck. Uh, even though you might say, well, that doesn't have, uh, you know, it's not transformational. It's the opposite, but it, but it has a, it has a felt quality to it, doesn't it? Like it's, it's not just a concept, but it, it's, you know, whereas feeling like a living an unfolding life, you know, that, that has a certain movement to it, a dynamism. So yeah, I'm quite fascinated by that as I tune into it, as you speak about it, it's like, yeah, there's a, you know, perhaps there's there's a kind of intelligence there that as coaches we can begin to cultivate. Yes. You know, like which is beyond the purely conceptual. It has a has a you know, I don't know quite what words put it, like energetic or you know, uh, f- process type yeah. feel to it. Yeah, I, I don't want I don't want to make you super aware of your language, but there again, when you said cultivate, think of that. Think of that word as a metaphor. So we're cultivating. That's a word we choose. What are we doing in cultivating in a field? We're cultivating a mind or emotions or we're 
you could call that digging up or fertilizing or opening up. Uh, it the images carry so much information that keep us from going to the blah blah blah. You know, um, there was something you said that triggered a thought. Let me see if I can recapture it. It's like first of all, I think it's fun. So I, I think pointing out a metaphor in a client's language. You don't have to go into the analytical, psychological studies of metaphors. You simply notice it. And I think it comes from curiosity. So my idea of being stuck will be different than yours. Oh, here's what I was thinking of. If you're my friend and we meet, you're telling me about the frustration. You go, I just feel stuck. And I said, oh, God, I've had times like that in my life. I know what that's like. That can be helpful, but that's not coaching. That's a friend-to-friend, empathic, understanding conversation. Yeah, I felt stuck too, Joel. And what do you think would be helpful? I mean, I might say that, but a coach will say, tell me more about that. What needs to happen? What would, um, funny, here's a phrase that comes, a lot of coaching we used to work in the early days of eliminating tolerations or things that hold us back you know what are our what are we putting up with that gets in the way of what we want to create um individually not in our well maybe in our life too but i used to say instead of eliminating things could be part of that but the process of illumination might be more important shining a light on what do you who are you and what do you really want and that doesn't mean go sit on a mountaintop and become realized and give up your life and disrupt other things, but live within your life, but still find a way to embrace the uniqueness of you as a being in this world. Where do you show up? The you. Do, do you feel that... I mean, I guess I want to couch maybe this question in the times we find ourselves in, you know, and the roles that coaches might play in these times of, it seems like, um, yeah, well, for sure. It doesn't seem like yeah. anything. It's like the uncertainty, the the crises we, we face, the opportunities we face. And um, yeah, then... Do you? I'm just curious how you see the role of of coaching in these times. I I think coaching evolved as a profession because the other professions that were available weren't doing all the task of people who didn't need to go get. Be careful how I say this. I mean, a lot of people saw a counselor or a psychotherapist because that's what there was, and there was nothing wrong with them. I mean, we we used to even make up diagnoses called mixed emotion uh, adjustment disorder with mixed emotional features to bill insurance in the United States. Well, adjustment disorder with mixed emotional features means me waking up in the morning. Perhaps it, it's not a mental illness. So, in these post-COVID years, post-pandemic years, and the world turmoil that gets transmitted through various airwaves and news channels that I certainly didn't have growing up the level of angst and anxiety is higher. 
coaching has boomed during this. The, those coaches who were already available got busier, but so did mental health counselors and mental wellness approaches, which is a different adage. So I think your question of how, how and why, how can coaching help and why did it, uh, why is it expanded so much? If people can pick, it used to be pick up a phone back in the day, I could do phone coaching. Now we have Zoom. You can be in Scotland. Well, I, you're in UK somewhere, right? I don't know. I'm not. I'm in uh, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Okay. Yeah. So here I am in Colorado. We're having this very connected conversation. As a psychologist, I had to see people locally. The video wasn't allowed. Now it is kind of. So I think coaching has become kind of a, a safe space. And a good coach will not be there as a helper or a fixer, but as a listener and a evocateur for the client to leave with new thinking and new steps toward the changes they want to be more conscious of. Life will still happen. Chosen change versus unchosen change. You know, if I choose to get a new job, if I choose to move, if I choose to get married, great. But if I lose my job, get divorced, get an illness, that's unchosen change. And eventually all change needs to be chosen. It's happened. How do I accept it? How do I move on? Eventually. Coaching helps us have a human conversation um, with the deeper recesses of who that person is. And I don't have to know. I, I don't have to know anything other than how to create that space for that conversation of exploration. Mm. Now, there's a, that sounds simple, but we know it's one of these things. Coaching is easy, but it's not simple. <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm just listening. No, there's a lot more than that going on. And the mastery comes from the ability to hold that space, hear the client at the vocal level, connect with the client at the heart level, um, and be willing, at the coach, be willing to not know what to do next or what to ask next, but just to be there. I hope that mm. makes sense. It does. It does. I, I absolutely believe in that way of coaching. I think uh, that, yeah, it's actually one of the most important ingredients to cultivate is that ability to be in the uncertainty. Yes. You know, to use that metaphor again of an unfolding or emerging yes. You know that actually the the deepest insights or the 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 real gold of gift of coaching comes when when you're not following a formula, but when you're attuning to what's yes. what's unfolding and emerging in the moment, and you're able to be a kind of steward for that, or a you know hold it hold a sacred space for that unfolding. And yeah. there's a you know, there's a deeper, I think these are words you, but there's a deeper alignment. There's a connecting to the truth yes. that can, and, and that, that's just priceless, that sense of truth mm -hmm. that when it emerges and, and, and actually that's what can become the new way of being for the client as it, as it comes in. Yeah. And you just described the path to mastery, really. I mean, 
what is mastery? I Back in the day, I was even against creating the term master certified coach. I wish we'd come up with a diplomate after, I mean, years of something, but we have it. It's hard. It's not like getting a black belt in karate. I don't know what mastery is, but I know, I know that you know it when you see it or hear it. So a competent coach, a beginning coach who's competent enough to be helpful to people will be a little formulaic. Here's the skills I learned in this training. Here's what I read in this book. Here's how I learned how to coach. You'll get better the more you trust your connection and your desire and avoid the desire to try to fix or help the client. But once you realize you're not there for that, then you're on the path to mastery, which is to be fluid, creative, innovative, and not formulaic. So master coaches have all the competencies and maybe an increased confidence to just be who they are in the coaching frame, but also show their uniqueness. When I assess coaches at the PCC level, and my wife assesses coaches at the MCC level, it's kind of like a nuance of fluidity, confidence, creativity, and mastery gets more to powerful connection, um, uniqueness, drawing on an inner resource. It, it's hard to define but it's not formulaic. And yet we all, all coach training teaches formulaic in the beginning. It has to. What do these eight competencies mean? What do these skills mean? What is, I mean, even active listening. I don't like that term. I wish they'd changed it to focus listening, but um, you learn these skills and then you have to digest them to use a metaphor and use your unique way of being as long as you're not disguised as a consultant or an answer giver or a fixer. That's right. not coaching. The, the, this reminds me of what I forgot before, which was uh, um, I was going to ask about these times we find ourselves in and the call into even greater uniqueness. Like I feel like there's something about uncertainty that can have that that uh, evocation in my own life, for example, you know, to face life and everything that's going on. And one response might be, hey, like I'm going to push, pull away from that. It's too much. But there's also, but it also brings out inside of me the part of me that's ready to to die in the face of serving. And that that, you know, might sound a little bit, grandiose or something but it's the same feeling that can be there when i'm serving clients you know it's like a willingness to show fully up and i think so i'm glad you're speaking into this now and i'm hearing this journey of almost like in the beginning we need to absorb from the outside yeah like we need to learn from other coaches we need to learn theories and methods so we're absorbing but it's not our own you know and as we right. grow it, we own it more and more. And I'm hearing really beautiful. I want to ask you more about it. So as we move into mastery, this uniqueness and this, I think you said inner resource becomes ever yeah. more important, but yes. Okay. You're not, you're not um, suddenly 
being arrogant or you, making the coaching about you trying to fix or not, it's not that, but it is something about the uniqueness of the coach that makes the difference. And I'm just, what, what, yeah, what is that thing? Or um, what is that like? Wow. Well, the key word there was uniqueness because masterful coaching, if you listen to recordings of clients who, and I do that in my mentoring, I'll play recordings of coaches who passed at the MCC level or the B and, you know, their style might be different than mine, but they were uniquely presenting an atmosphere of mastery and people, clients will be attracted to different coaches. I mean, there's some clients I just don't work well with um, or students. It's a hard thing to put a description on other than what is mastery in other professions? How do you know Ixot Perlman is a masterful? Well, he still has a coach, by the way. <laughs> and who is that, by the way? I... Yeah, he's, he's still practices his skill to be ready for a performance and gets he's coaching a, on He's that. a singer or something? or a... Ixot Perlman is a famous violinist. Oh, right. Okay. Yo-Yo yeah, Ma yeah. is a famous cellist. I mean, these are like masters of that. Um, the Olympic skiers, why do they have coaches helping them get their mindset and their they're ready to go down the slope. They visualize the slope. I teach this in my metaphor class, the 10 second visualization of where the turns are and being ready before you go. That's a lot of what coaching is, is trust the process, trust yourself and learn from outcomes that didn't might quite meet what you expected. I mean, if life were always to turn out the way I wanted it to, it'd be a stream of stale successes, and I'd never experience anything new. <laughs> I like to know the river behind me in my house. I like to know what's around that corner. If I travel in the mountains, I go, ooh, there's a dirt road. Let me take that and see where that goes. I want to get off the beaten path, metaphorically. I want to explore what I don't know within limits and within safety. Right. Um, there's an old saying, your, your listeners have probably heard this many times, but the old story of the, the Buddhist monk, the master who on the mountaintop, the students were training, they were training, they were training, and they walked up, had a question for the master and said, Master, what was your life like before you were enlightened? What did you do here at the monastery? I chopped wood and carried water. And what do you do now that you're enlightened? I chop wood and carry water. <laughs> I just do it from an enlightened perspective. I mean, we don't disappear. We don't disappear in life. I still have a wife. I still have daughters. I still have me. I, I still have challenges. Um, how do I learn from those? And coaching helps us pinpoint where are people not who they're wanting to be, not pinpoint what they're not doing that they want to be doing. That'll come. But where, where are they stuck in who they are and want to be? 
And that sometimes sounds pretty esoteric, but we're finding ways to explore that in a way that is understandable. Well, yeah, I think that um, two things are coming up. One is that, that there's something ineffable about, you know, that space we talked about of mastery that it's hard to grasp it and, and, yes. and into something that that's fixed uh, yet it's undeniable. And perhaps there's an unlearning that makes it more available that yes. actually the more I, you know, do the inner work that I don't, you know, get caught in identities that need to help fix the client in order to be a good person or good coach, the more free I am in the moment to, to trust and follow what's emerging. And there's a, uh, that there's a, I, I'm spacious enough to allow that, that certain charge to, to flow through the coaching, you know, like for it to be here. Uh, and, you know, if I think of a dancer, you know, if I see, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I see these YouTube clips and you're like that, that's it there. You know, there's somebody dancing and it's like, they're not just dancing. There's something being expressed through them in that moment. Yes. Uh, uh, and yeah, we all recognize it, you know, even if we can't say what it is, it brings people to tears and touches people's hearts. And Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Um, yeah, there was something you said that, and you, if you listen back to this, you're, your last minute used about six or seven metaphors. I mean, it just, it's in our language all the time. <laughs> they, they say about every six seconds, we might use the metaphor. I don't know if it's that frequent, but several times a minute, because it's the best way to express thinking without, we're not robots and we're not computer AI, right? Here's what I say. And I think this is relevant to your question. Early coaches, I'll say, Nowadays, you can record yourself pretty easily. You can go on Zoom, do audio only if you want. Listen to your coaching. Listen back. How were you? What would you do differently? And even ask your clients, not, well, how did I do? Can you rate me? No, say, what was most helpful about our time together today? What would you have liked more of or less of? Um. And you'll learn. It, it's not like, did I do anything that wasn't helpful? No, you don't want to ask that. What did you learn from our coaching? What was helpful? And you'll get that and you'll get better. You get better in the unique way that you connect with the clients that are in your niche or in the sphere of who you work best with. Especially if you use the word unlearning and go back to that. There's so much unlearning people that train to be coaches because they might have come from various professions. Um, well, they, of course, they came from various professions. The people I trained in the early days, psychologists, social workers, et cetera, had to unlearn knowing the proper protocol for a certain mental illness. You had to unlearn your desire to have expertise. And instead, the powerful parts were the empathy, connection, and the listening, and then just go with that. You don't have to know. You're not here to fix. You're not here to patch up a client. You're not here to um, have a conversation with somebody who's in a dire need of serious help. I mean, we don't get that. You know, use coaching clients. 
aren't broken. They're human and life happens. And it might be leadership coaching, but there's still a human there. I mean, that's one thing I profess today is today it's all a whole person approach. People don't in the old days, old days back in the 50s and 60s, the last century by God, don't take your work home. Don't bring your home to work. Well, well, today, a lot of people work at home. <laughs> the dog's barking. The kids come into the Zoom room. Um, you know, the pandemic era magnified anything that was challenging, even for us coaches. It, it um, We felt a little, a lot, isolated, sequestered, limited, and that's dissipating now, but the world changed. A lot of good things came from it, but a lot of societal changes happened because of the disconnection. And as most psychological theories will say, we all need connection. We are relationship beings and Zoom helps, but it's not like getting a real hug in the public space. I mean, in the in a real space. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe we'll get there with technology one day. I mean, maybe that's a bad thing, but maybe we'll be able to hug each other through Zoom or something. Yeah, I think, uh, I think back to the early Star Wars. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe we'll just get a hug from that. Uh, uh, what do you call that? The uh, visual. Uh, I can't remember what you call it now, but I don't want that. I don't want robot voices. I mean, I think we're always going to need human connection and add that to the multiple ways we can connect across the universe today. Yeah, I just I I just have like a couple of questions. We're moving towards the end of our time together, and um, oh wow, uh, uh, one is, um, yeah, is there any is there any wish you have for the coaching community? You know, um, thinking about the journey that the coaching community's made. And do you, is there a wish that you have for them? It may be based upon like, you know, um, you might even feel like critical of the global coaching industry in some ways of where it's some of the developments within it. I don't know. Um, But just, yeah. Well, yeah. My biggest fear back in the startup was first of all, I, I, I really uh, pushed against licensure. I didn't want coaching to ever have to get licensed. And in the early days, some of the states in America said, oh, coaches are doing what a psychologist is doing. You shouldn't, you can't, you have to have a license. That changed, that changed. It's good. But I would said someday the ICF and other organizations will become tempted by bureaucracy. And I think we're at that place. The International Coach Federation is doing a great job on many fronts. And yet there's a angst that I have about some of the new testing requirements, um, certification push. Uh, I mean, I can be somewhat iconoclastic at times. It's like we got 60,000 ICF members now in 155 countries, and that's just the ICF. There's the European Mentoring Coaching Council, and there's people who call themselves coaches who aren't connected to anything. So the ICF holds a standard up here that's really good, and I want it to stay flexible and um, 
and listen to its constituents, of which there's many. And I think they're doing a pretty good job in most cases. I don't want it to become so, what's the word? Um, legalistic or I don't know, it, 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 it's going to hurt itself if it tries to become uh, limited in off allowing uniqueness in the professionals who coach. And yeah. I don't have any answers for that, but. Um, you're, you're not alone in expressing that yeah. concern. I've spoken to a number of coaches who, you know, on this podcast, who've been in the industry for a long time who have that fear that coaching becomes too narrow or yes. limited to a certain set of competencies or yes. uh, standards and that um, that's actually limited in its scope, uh, mm. decontextualized. Uh, you know, I mean, part of my conversation with David Drake was about yes. some of his concerns around that. And, uh, and I think you're right. It could lead to like the, the novelty, the um, the emergent creative novelty in the field of coaching has been one of its strengths. You know that yeah. there's been so many, and and one of its weaknesses too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a low bar for entry as well into the industry in some ways, and so that's what's good about the, you know, the standardization in some ways. It raises the bar, but yeah, something can get lost inside of that. So. Yeah, and I uh, is that yeah? Does that speak into your? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think the ICF did a fabulous job in taking the eleven competencies and rewriting them into eight. They're elegantly done. They're really well done. And but then those of us who mentor have to help the mentee, the coach, understand what is meant by that. It's not a. It's not a guy. It's a guidebook. It's not a rule book. Maybe that's what I would differentiate you're still allowed to be unique and creative within the scope of that and i think the icf would agree with that that's their intent um i think the other thing the icf is trying to do and could do better more of is educate the general public of the profession of coaching. I mean, it's gotten better than 25, 30 years ago, right? But to get out there, so how does the general public know about coaching? We talk about the democratization of coaching and there's better up and there's a few other things where- Coach hub, places like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, people can get a coach for a very affordable price. Well, that's also happening now in the field of psychotherapy. You can get help online and not pay the fee of $200 an hour for your therapist in your town. But is it the same as meeting one-on-one -on -one in real time with a trained as opposed to competent, a well-trained as opposed to competent professional? One of the things I'm about today, and, and we might touch on this at the end, is I'm, I'm even developing things to help coaches understand what do they learn about themselves to become present enough to their clients um i won't i don't want to keep talking about this but it 
if we become more real as more self-aware as a coach, we can also demonstrate that. We don't have to teach it. We demonstrate that with our clients and maybe ask questions that get them to, what would it take for you to share this with, what would happen if you let your spouse know or your boss know or your kids know? What would happen if they had that information? And we just play with that. It normalizes the human challenges that we all have. There's only a few. (laughs) I mean, really, it's not like there's a thousand different ways people are challenged. There's like probably a half a dozen. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I like that. Uh, And it speaks to me of coaching as a way of being in itself, as opposed to coaching as a fixed thing you know yes. what's beneath the word coach many coaches i know say they feel the words become too small as well mm-hmm. um so yeah you know what is it what is it beneath coaching it's a it's a you know it's a form of an expression of consciousness a, a way of being it yes uh, about and it's human you know and actually it's more than human too it's a it's yep. actually i want to i'm a i'm a stand for coaching to be you know, ecological and systemic and yes. earth, you know, uh, kind of cosmic centric or earth centric, should I say? Um, yes. But uh, yeah, you know, so so that's what I hear in, in what you're saying, and that the there's a way that we can be a stand for that proliferation of that way of being in the in the yep. world. One of the big things that's present today, Joel, that I don't think was present two decades ago or more. And we touched on this in my new edition of my book. I added a whole bunch of stuff on the emotions of coaching and psychoneurology of coaching. Emotions in coaching now are paramount. If somebody wants to change something, they're going to have emotions. It doesn't mean they're broken and they're going to cry. I mean, they might, but they're going to have emotional. I call emotions emotion, energy in motion. And that's proven neurologically today. There is energy in motion. The heart changes, the brain changes, that's done in the lab. So when a motion is expressed, it shifts. Um, And I think today's coaches need to learn not to be afraid of or um, pushed away by a client who might have an emotional expression. Be there, allow it acknowledge it, be curious, and connect. You're not a therapist. You're not fixing. You're not treating. You're connecting humanly and spiritually um, in the moment and trusting that the client will learn something from that. It's up to them. But what's up to us is being ready to connect and asking the questions that create new thinking and new awareness from what they didn't yet know. Yeah, that that's a big, big theme today for me as well of, of like not fixing, uh, but of not compartmentalizing our clients either. So, and there's a trustability in that too, you know, yes, we need our training. Yes. We need to know our boundaries, but but at the same time, I feel like coaches can get 
too scared about that therapeutic coaching boundary yeah. sometimes. And it's like, no, if you're not fixing your client and there's you're 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 meeting them and there's an expression of emotion and there's nothing needs to happen with that emotion. Right. It can actually begin to just flow in its own way. And yes, okay, you know, being trauma informed and recognizing when our clients are you know, um, destabilized or yep. showing signs of trauma is very, very important. But yeah, the joy, the joy of meeting a human on that level in the way you're describing, you know, and, and the sacredness of that is, is, yeah, is needed in the world. I think like we're reclaiming or maybe discovering that capacity in a whole new way. And yeah. Um, then one last question I have, which is maybe a short one is just, I'm just really curious if there's anything that you have been really excited about in your own journey or in your coach training growth, like, is there, you know, did you, it could be anything like you, you read a book or you, uh, you heard a teacher speak or, you know, there was just something that you discovered recently that you thought this is, this is brilliant or this touched me. Could well, be a, a movie, even or a poem, or something. Oh my God! Well, there's there's, <laughs> there's tons of those. I'll, during the day, I'll hear a song, or we'll watch a movie, and I'm going, "Oh wow, that says it all." Mm. What's what I'm concentrating on this day, these days, and what moves me is, and we talked offline about this. I created a course, an online course, four years ago, based on almost the legacy of my four decades as a professional, and I. I called it Conscious Living Mastery. There's a little story about that because it was based on a book I wrote called Getting Naked on Emotional Transparency at the Right Time, the Right Place, and with the Right Person. That's about self-disclosure, courageous vulnerability, when, how, with who. And we changed the name because when I came up with gettingnakedprogram.com, people went to some weird website. <laughs> so now... I'm changing the name and it's not going to be a website. It's going to be under my website of drpatwilliams.com, but it'll be a course and it's going to be called getting naked on a, you know, but then people can become a certified emotional literacy coach. So that term emotional literacy to me is beyond emotional intelligence. We can have emotional intelligence, but then what do we do with it? I mean, I actually knew the author of Emotional Intelligence way back in the, gosh, early 80s or something. Uh, he was the first president of um, the International Association of Transpersonal Psychology, you know. Um, it, we've evolved, and I just want the whole person to be part of our lexicon, our um, approach, so mind, body, spirit, that's what that, that's what my efforts are about today. And I go back to a lot of the masters, the masters that I knew, Carl Jung, Roberto Asagioli, Alfred Adler. Um, I mean, the people that I learned about in the 70s are still relevant today that set the tone, maybe even Aristotle, I don't know. Uh, it, I mean, really... A lot of what we're working with isn't new. It's a cycle of humanity. How do we help? How do we help ourselves become more evolved? 
uh, allow ourselves to become more evolved, not devolved like shows up in some of the world today. So that's what excites me. It excites me about what's on the news is not what's really happening. It's part of what's really happening. There's a lot of good stuff going on. And I subscribe to things like, well, like your podcasts and like uh, Optimus Daily. Um, I mean, I could go through a list of um, what I do to escape me. Oh, yeah, there's this other side of the world you don't see on the daily blips. You don't know what's going on. There's a lot of good stuff about the environment that's happening if we're not too late. A lot of hope. And and I want to be part of that. Yeah, that's really beautiful, Pat. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think this is a great place to bring our conversation to a close. And I just want to um, wish you well and your support of what you just named, you know, Godspeed with that, because we, we need that. And um, yeah, I, I'm really pleased you talked about conscious living mastery and getting naked and just wondering where can we find out more about your work, too? Well, I think the best way, and, and I'm I'm paying some new people to redo my whole website, but right now, if you just go to um, drpatwilliams.com, so www.drpatwilliams.com, everything's going to be there. And what I'm about these days is not building a coaching business anymore, but mentoring, teaching, webinars. And I think my online course, of which we'll have a live component, is just one of the many offers in this universe of <laughs> multiple offers that we get weekly. But it's a unique way to find me and and let me be a facilitator in your learning. I really hope people will feel inspired to come and take part in some of your offerings. Yeah, I learned a lot from you today, Pat. So, So thanks so much. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well. And I'll see you again next time. <laughs>